back to the Why Hockey periodically wondering why fans are getting 10-minute misconducts watching a Panthers-Senators game podcast. I can't believe we got one, too. Oh, <laughs> uh, that was much... That was that was a lot of fun. Uh, and quite different than the Hughes Bowl, which is more... That was too like, nice. That was too nice. That was too nice and uh, no defense. It looked like a shinny game. It looked like a charity event for the Hughes family. Like, for the Jim and Ellen Hughes Foundation, we're throwing on a charity game. But... Um. Yeah, I mean that, we that didn't. Ottawa game you know, you know I have to. I, I'm going to complain about complain. I'm going to mention something about the people who we know do the production for the Panthers games. Uh, that was obviously a local game. We didn't get any shots of Grandma Kachuk. They got those on Sportsnet every five seconds, but we didn't get any on 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 Valley Sports. Come on, guys, gotta level up here a little bit. We needed yeah, the Grandma well, Kachuk shots. What do you expect from Bally's right now? I mean, I mean, yes, they are technically in bankruptcy proceedings, but the Panthers do a lot of work with that. The, these people are employed by the Panthers, not necessarily Bally Sports. Anyway, I do also want to bring up something else that's not really related to hockey, but is sort of related to hockey. You'll see what I'm talking about in a second. You know I like college sports. You know I follow college football, and they just made their playoff uh, selections that I hated because Alabama has no business being in over a team that was unbeaten because their quarterback suffered a grievous injury, which you obviously can't control. So the suggestions that were brought up by people essentially told Florida State, why did you tell everyone about the injury honestly? Why did you do that? That doesn't make sense. So in other words, if the Florida State Seminoles wanted to make the college football playoff that they should have made, then what they should have done was lie about the injury like every hockey team does in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Look, the Panthers did it. I mean, Matthew Kachuk played with a broken sternum. They had two defensemen play with torn labrums in their shoulders. The the Florida State Seminoles should have just lied. Basically, what they should have said was, uh, he's week to week. We think he'll be ready by the playoff. And then they would have let him in. Completely ridiculous in every single way, shape, and form. You should not introduce incentives to make... Hockey teams look reasonable. I I definitely agree. No incentives to lie. I think that's uh, I I'm not for that. Uh, and I think you know when I, I'm not into college football or football in general. Uh, but the one thing I'll say is when you pick teams for playoffs or uh, championships or whatever based on some sort of amalgamation of points and looking at this and that, uh, it's not going to be the same as when playoff spots are earned. Um, it'd be, you know, Florida State earned a playoff spot if you look at their games and their games only. Uh, to deny them that is kind of ridiculous. Uh, and you know, that's what you get when you leave it up to all of this. The college football playoff has is a good idea. They just have to figure out how to make a template that everybody knows. If you do this, you get a playoff spot. Because it should just be about what you control, not everything else involved. Especially in a sport where you don't play the same teams and schedules yeah. and conferences are wildly different and and, going and predicated by money and predicated by oh, money. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So, Not I mean, even close. So and yeah, and when it, whenever you can can literally argue, you know, hearing things about like uh struggle wins 
and and different this things is, like this that. This is no offense like, to Florida to some teams that I have seen. Alabama barely beat USF. Sorry, our good friend Josh Appel, PA announcer for the <laughs> Miami Marlins, who is a USF alum and a good friend of mine. USF ain't very better. good. <laughs> Sorry, they barely beat USF. And they barely beat Arkansas, and they needed a 4th and 31 ridiculous miracle to beat Auburn. Weird things happens in that game. This is not Split Zone Duo, which is a, a podcast hosted by another friend of mine. <laughs> I'm just pointing it out because the perverse incentives of encouraging a team to lie about grievous injuries is very Stanley Cup playoffs. Yes. And you should not encourage anyone to do that because then you're going to get Paul Maurice going to Jackie Redmond at the end of Game 5 going, okay, how long is the list of injuries we have? And him smirking about it in a very, you know, gallows humor kind of way. Right. I do want to transition to the Panthers by saying that uh, Paul Maurice has been on it in his press conferences lately. I have to say, he has been given some good out, good material. Thank you very much for that, Paul. We're going to get to one of his comments a little later. Uh, firstly, um, <laughs> this was before they went on the Canadian road trip. Uh, Jordan McPherson, who works for the Miami Herald, uh, it was his birthday at one of the practices, so he's joking about turning 30. That made me feel really great, didn't it? Uh, and I think he mistook him for Colby Guy because I think he mentioned something about turning 23, and I think that's how old Colby is or close to it. Apologies, Colby. You could DM me if I was wrong about that, about your age, and I and I made you too old. I apologize in advance if I did that. So it's, that was a good joke. Great. He it's had a great. joke about I mean, Mother's Day, too, and he looked over at Colby, and he was like, it was basically about treating your wives well, and it looked over Colby like treating your mother well, and I laughed at that when he when he tweeted that one out. So as I said, Paul Maurice is really good at press conferences. He then had the nicest f bombs after the uh, the shootout thing, which was also very funny. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I mean he he has that down pat. I think he I'm not like he's the type of person who just has that sort of charisma. He's seasoned, and like it just shows that like you know he has the experience and the natural charisma to just be very engaging, very thoughtful. He obviously you know appreciates this time and he uses it very focused uh, and and uh, he uses it to educate and the more to kind of bring you into his thinking versus uh, seeing it as some other coaches do, which is more adversarial. More like these people are coming to ask me stupid questions. I'm um, thinking of Torts and, and Brooks' relationship in New York. Well, John uh, Tortorella as, had a good press conference recently. You know, we've got yeah, balls yeah, basically. I, yeah, I'm just saying. I'm just saying that you know, there's definitely sort of different types of relationships, and I think Maurice has always kind of been one relationship and has kind of evolved and grown on that. And I think you know, as you do get older, you you do appreciate certain aspects of your job more and it seems that you know Maurice really does appreciate this and he sees that when he puts the time into it he gets a lot better interactions out of media and well, to be fair people like it helps me it, will it, tell it, you oh he's great in press conferences and that softens up your view to him but it's not still either of these or any of these right. are not my favorite Paul Maurice quotes in a press conference I don't even remember when it was but the, the winner for best press conference quote for Paul Maurice, and if you top it, then I will be extremely impressed, is saying, I'm treating the media well because my son's a play-by-play -play announcer, and I would never want a coach to do that to him. That was the winner of all press conferences. Maybe my favorite press conference quote I have ever seen. Maybe yeah, because it hits me directly in the feels for obvious reasons, but still, 
absolute 100% gold standard for press conference quotes. I also think that, you know, just when you are in uh, a fan base for so long, a media base, you know, a media area for so long, and you develop these long relationships, you kind of see it that way. And you kind of think about those things more about treating people and that kind of stuff. He was in Carolina a long time, two times. You know, he was in Winnipeg a long time when he was in Hartford. He was in Hartford so long, that's how he got to Carolina, right? You know, so... Um, well, well, if you go back and you listen to the show we did with uh, Murat Ates, uh that's one of the big takeaways from that podcast was how, you know, he treats the media and how respectful he was with the media. And that couldn't have been more prescient because you don't really notice it until you very much notice it. And yeah. Well, I, I remember saying that that was going to... I. I don't remember if this was on a pre-podcast bit or whatever, but I do remember we talked about how that's beneficial for Florida because when you have less coverage, when you have a newer fan base, somebody, a coach who takes the time to speak, you know, and speak to his thought process and answer questions the way he does, it really helps the media get more, uh, you know, work Smarter, it gives you something to work with, things. and if you're trying to sell the team for his purposes, he's selling the team and his vision, it's much easier to do that if you're nice with the media who are the disseminators right. of what you're telling them, especially when you have three people covering the team. It's not three anymore. It's more than that. Yes, yeah, but I mean, for also for the new fan base and everything, it's good to have somebody who's taking the time to explain thought process and how, you know, what their system is is aiming to do so when fans are watching and they can be like this person's not playing well to what the coach wants to do or you know that kind of things they understand or when the coach says i'm benching somebody or not playing him florida hasn't had this instance this year but you know because he's not doing the things i want him to do or he's not playing to the system defensively fans understand that because for how many times maurice is in interviews talking about the defensemen, the defensive system, what the forwards are doing in the D zone and that kind of stuff. Um, which is, you know, why I was, I'm always hopeful that one day we will hear, Hey, you know, we're working on finishing shots when it comes to finishing and scoring. Maurice always is more wait, wait and see. It's just going to turn, you know, like the goals are going to come or the goals aren't going to come. And I've been waiting to to see him take a little more of a hands-on approach like he does in a lot of other subjects and see the improvements on the ice like he's made, you know, not just this year and last year, but with the defense, with, you know, how they evolve around playing defensively with the centers and and, uh, the wingers coming back and helping more and and really tightening up the game in all three zones and and things like that uh, when it comes to scoring and finishing, which seems to be... The one, the one spot left to really improve, and, and you know that comes up weekly as a, as an issue. Other than that, you know you got to be happy with where Florida is and where Maurice has Florida. We're gonna get to the finishing thing in a minute. I also forgot a press conference quote of his that I should have mentioned before, which is, <laughs> I'm gonna paraphrase because this is not his exact words, and it's gonna make it sound a little worse than it actually was. It's basically like. I only use analytics when it suits my point, which is thought that's a very Paul yeah, Maurice quote. And I laughed I only, at it. I only look at the 
analytics that suit me or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's not as bad as the way he said it, but it was a very funny quote. And it's yeah. like, it's endearing when he says it, when you have the background that he has. I mean, he, he's trying to be tongue in cheek endearing and he's trying to be, you know, down home. So he's trying to say it kind of in a folksy way. Um, but what, you know, what he's really saying is like, there's certain things I look for and I'm asking the, 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 the stats department to quantify this in the data for me so then I can use it in my decision-making process. I don't think is, he's ever gotten the most in-depth question on it, which is if I was yeah. ever interviewing him and people, Adeline and the people in the Panthers PR, I would love to interview him. I don't know whether you guys <laughs> like us very much or not. Hopefully you like us more than uh, in the past when we were quite critical of them, but I would love to interview Paul Maurice and it would be a question I would ask him about analytics and finishing. I do want to get to the press conference quote that we've got to put a pin in and we'll get to in a second, but the timing was perfect. And I want to give credit to Dmitry Filipovich, the wonderful Dmitry Filipovich for sending me the link in a, in a Twitter DM, which I wasn't expecting wonderful person on the PDO cast. They did entirely on Alexander Barkov with Daryl Belfry. And if you haven't uh, watched that, I encourage you to watch it on YouTube because you also get the Barkov mixtape alongside their comments and it goes hand in hand with what they're saying. It doesn't work quite as well if you're just listening to it in an audio form. Do you want to hear something funny? What what's that? So you you tweeted me and messaged me about this and I was like, huh, I didn't see this. So I tried to look it up and I'm like, huh, the the tweet you're quoting is is gone. It's deleted. And then I realized, no. I blocked, muted, and like just completely just got rid of his Twitter off of my timeline for the sole purpose of him being very much a Mark Stone fanboy. And just, <laughs> oh, I could not deal with it in the playoffs and with the Stanley Cup and how it went. I just couldn't deal with it. I could not deal with seeing Mark Stone high stick a puck down and score against the Panthers anymore. So I just like blocked him, whatever. Obviously, I've, I've taken it off and everything, but <laughs> you know I what? Just, I just remember being. We've that done sure worse on Twitter it. than that. <laughs> yeah, no, I've done just, worse on Twitter than that. You know, like you just can't see it anymore, and it's like, how do I get this off? You 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 mute the word Mark Stone or the search term <laughs> yes. Mark Stone. That's what I did That's... on TweetDeck for many years before Elon killed it. But I do want to say, if you haven't watched that podcast and listened to it, you should do it. Also, the PDO Cast uh, YouTube has the mixtape just straight up. And it is it is like incredible highlight minutes, reel. Yeah. So I will link that in the show notes for you to watch. Uh, and it coming out yesterday was great timing because now we can talk about it a little bit. And yeah, where do you want to? I want to start, start by talking. I, about, I, you had a point that you made to me before, and it was basically, and this is not meaning to be mean to Daryl Belfry, who is obviously awesome, and his stuff is incredible. Yeah. It was basically the equivalent of, how did we not get this sooner? And I have a theory on why that is. And will you indulge me the theory? Because I have an idea. Yes. Why we didn't get the Barkoff mixtape sooner. There's a couple of reasons for it. The first of which is, if you're going to do a, a mixtape of skills, or you know something like that, you're going to do it for somebody who pops a little bit more. And that would be, they did one for Quinn Hughes, obviously, that pops, it's very easy for people to see that, Connor McDavid, Nathan McKinnon, players like that. When you're doing a mixtape for someone's defensive skill set, it's not quite as um, eye-catching, you know? And when you watch it in a cut-up version, as you see 
uh, Dimitri and Daryl did. It is very, you know, it's catchy. It's fun to watch. But it's not the same thing as watching Connor McDavid blow by somebody or Quinn Hughes do what he's been doing this year. So we as a society don't do subtlety very well. And this is not a, just a comment on hockey. This is a comment on everything. And Alexander Barkov is obviously the king of having the most subtly elite skill set in the league. That's part one. Part two is, maybe I'm off base with this assessment, but you can tell me whether I am or not. He kind of suffers from your favorite fans, uh, your favorite band's favorite band syndrome. You know how, if you like a band, their favorite band is not going to be the most popular thing in the world, right? Does that make sense? And for years, Alexander Barkov was, you know, the most underrated player in the league. And so I would term that in some ways as your favorite player's favorite player syndrome. Does that make sense? Am I on the right track here? And yes, so, but, but my counterpoint is this. I, I understand like it might not be sexy. It might not be flashy to, to cut up a video to do a whole podcast on Barkov. But like you can still acknowledge, be like, yeah, like this, this guy's like one of the best in the league. Like just point blank, period. And it took a while for that. And even in the podcast... You know, they're saying it took until very recently, like within the last year, year and a half, for them to even understand to how to watch Barkov. And I have an idea on why that is the case, too. But but like to me, it just like, again, I'm not an expert. I'm a hobbyist. That's how I would say I'm a very good hobbyist who's either who's who's either good or lucky or a mix of both. And, you know, I. For, for me, I saw this when Barkov was 17. I, you know, I saw this all the way through. And it's not like there haven't been other players like this. I mean, Bergeron just retired, but there's Kopitar. I mean, like... They mentioned Datsuk in there, too. Yeah, yeah, but, like, just how many of these players who just, like, they're not going to put up 100 and some points, but they just do everything right they're consistent like they you know they're not getting they're not having those big games of like five points or whatever like mcdavid will have you know multiples of those but they don't have the swings of like nothing or being shut down they're just constantly chipping away at their one point you know a game and playing amazing defense and stopping probably three goals um and it's you know there's Francis, Ron Francis, there's Trottier, Messier. Like, there's been other forwards who have done this and haven't been the most gaudy point scorers of their time. They've been in that second tier, which Barkov kind of is. He's in that, like, you know, 90-point range, which, again, is nothing to laugh at. Like, that is ridiculous because, you know— the competition around those types of centers that, you know, he gets kind of bucketed in like his year, those guys are like 70 points per game, you know, at best. Like it's, it's just a whole different level what Barkov can do while still playing defense. And, uh, you know, it's, it's something that I, I feel privileged that Florida is starting to play hockey the way I associate modern progressive hockey should be played. That, you know, it is evolving, 
there's there you're getting the d up in play you're doing all this mm -hmm. but you're keeping the core elements of what it takes to win a cup or what i you know what i've been taught takes to win hockey and even though i didn't you know play at a high level you know i played at a high amateur level uh you know what you know i learned through winning was you know you have to compete you have to battle defense you know it's it's easier to shut other teams down consistently and beat them and win in big moments than it is to just outscore them and do run and gun and all this stuff and Florida's taken a while to learn that, but they're finally getting there. But it seems like it's lost everywhere else. Like, you know, it's all just about how many points you're putting up, you know, what you're doing offensively. Like, can you go, can you skate around players? Can you dangle them? Can you score? Do you have fantasy value? Do you, you know, like, are you putting up fantasy val value stats? You know, are you highlights? Are you on Instagram reels? Is Pavel Barber talking about you and that kind of stuff? And it's like, is that doesn't matter. Like, the f entertaining hockey doesn't matter. Winning hockey matters. And I wish that more people who were paid to talk about hockey focused on the things that, like, mattered for winning. So that, like, players like Barkov uh, were, were more stars because... It was drilled, it was, you know, more, uh, ed, you know, it was more talked about that this is important to win it. You know, the, the way Florida plays hockey is the way, I, like, now every center on Florida needs to be able to do what Barkov does, which is cover back, uh, filling gaps, be that defensive steady person and still find the, the timing space to create offensively somehow without giving up defensively. And like, that's just how every center should be on every team. Like, I don't understand why other teams aren't well, doing that. Look most at, teams you look do at not Vegas. have Alexander Barkov. <laughs> I mean, it's probably going to start changing because Vegas won a cup doing it. Florida got to the cup the same year playing that same style of the centers need to be the, the focal point. They don't have to be flashy. But they have to do these. They have to do the subtle things. They have to do the small details, and they have to be reliable and dependable every shift, in every situation. You know, in front of the puck and behind the puck, and uh, it, you know, you you see that Vegas is very good at that, and they've instilled that through their minor league system where guys like Paul Cotter are coming up and playing pretty well. You know, like well, they don't... I mean, we can credit Florida for that, too, because, I mean, they now have a bunch of centers who do this, you know? Yeah. There's a reason why we joke about Anton Lundell and all these other guys, Losterain and Stenland, even. I'm hoping it comes back because, you know, I'm, I'm not against skilled moves. I'm not against skilled players, you know. Do the Michigans. You know, I love Mi Mishkov, you know, like... Do do the Zegras stuff. Like I'm all for it, but be but like compete, play hard, like want to win, and like play deep, like all that stuff. That's what makes hockey the best. Is you have to have all of that to to and and you have to have it throughout a team, and get lucky and and you know have the battle of attrition through the playoffs to win a championship. It makes it so much better when you actually win. 
And to me, it makes the sport worthwhile. <laughs> you know, it's a real competition when when you have to do that. You know, you're always on. It, I, I really dislike the NBA and stuff because, you know, NBA players say it. You have to play harder in Europe and in other leagues than in the NBA because NBA is just about playing offense when you have the ball or, like, when you're next to the guy who has the ball. Other than that, you're standing around. Defense, you don't really have to try that hard. You know? Like, th- I don't want the NHL to turn into that. Well, sure. as we have learned, the Florida Panthers tried that and then got stonewalled by the yeah. Tampa Bay Lightning, where I think a lot of this originates. I and think you're, the seeing the, are... you're seeing the Devils? I mean, the Lightning are, are a great point. You know, they play a complete team style everybody buys in the guys that they bring up through the system match the style are easy to matriculate easy to get going at the nhl level whether they're young or you know more veteran minor league guys um they can get bring guys in off trades and and have them perform well for them and and fit into their style and they have sustained success it's a great point yeah there was also a couple of points that he made in the podcast, which you should listen to. One of them was on the evolution of a team offensively. You start as a rush team, you then get a cycle game, and then it's a re-entry game. I think that's a really good point, and it's why teams like New Jersey struggle in the playoffs when you get there, because you usually come in as a really good rush team, and you then have to add stuff to your game. And the Panthers, it actually happened more seamlessly than it is happening for, say, the Devils or the Buffalo Sabres, who this is a real example for them. But, like, that's how you evolve, right, as a team from an offensive perspective. And the Panthers became one of the best cycle teams in the league. You know what I mean? I I agree. I think that's kind of the way the trend is. I don't necessarily think that's the blueprint blueprint teams need to follow. I think you can cut out those steps. I I don't think – I think you can go, you know, if – I don't I don't necessarily think Florida had to become a one-way rush running gun live off the power play type team that New Jersey is that Edmonton is you know I don't think that they had to become that I think if you were building a team you could start at the point that Maurice came in and started doing and you work your way up I think if you have the offensive talent it's easy to do that. I think for Florida, they had to get to the rush part because their team wasn't as deep as they wanted to, as their ambitions were. And to get more out of the team, they had to outscore their problems because that was their strength was, Hey, we have a couple just high end skill people. Let's lean on them and just, you know, spray and pray (laughs) basically, you know, and, and it worked because their prolific top of their generation players in the prime years. And they were on good enough contracts where you could balance the roster enough to, to, you know, get through the regular season. Now they have, you know, a deep roster. They don't have to do the running. They don't have to beg for goals, but on the other end, it's like, I don't want to say they went too far the other way, but I think that they're neglecting that they still have to, you know, be like the lightning and the fact that 
the Lightning knew when to step on someone's throat and finish their chances and put away games, whether it was five-on-five, shorthanded, or the power play. When they got their chances, they buried. And if Florida can do that, man, they're going to take that next step, and it's just going to be health and luck and, you know, what they can And draw in the playoffs, who you play. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, then it's just about, okay, let's just keep this thing together and moving and give them as many kicks at the can as possible because eventually they should win, you know? Um, Can I make one other point about Daryl Belfry and Barkoff that I want to bring up here in deference to him? Yeah, without giving out too much of the No, I don't want to spoil the whole thing. Yeah, it's a very good podcast. Oh, it's, it's so worth 50 minutes of your time. Well, yeah. our pod, if you listen to any length of our podcast, then you should listen to this one because 50 minutes is nothing compared to what we do. I want to make the point that part of the Barkov phenomenon, I think, is twofold and why it took people a lot of time to appreciate him. And I don't blame people for this. Alexander Barkov has been on a lot of mediocre Panthers teams. He's had eight coaches in 10 years. So if you're watching Barkov, you're watching him because he's playing your team. And... All of the incredible stuff that he had been doing for years and years and years had been lost in the soup of the Panthers are a poorly constructed team. They're not somebody you have to pay attention to. He raised their floor. He didn't raise their ceiling, right? Obvious. The other problem is he lived in a Patrice Bergeron world where the only thing that people could talk about when it came to this skill set was this all-encompassing greatness of Patrice Bergeron. And people didn't realize that the second best in their mind, or in our case, equal to Patrice Bergeron, was in the same division and was playing like that even if you weren't paying attention. And that's not his fault. That's the fault of how hockey media works in some ways. And so, and Barkov's offensively better as well. In many ways, yes. He doesn't I mean, feast on the power play wise, in the same way. Patrice Bergeron has never put up 80 points in a season. He never feasted on the power play in the same way. Barkov is such a dominant player 5-on-5 five five, that you almost forget, like, oh, he could feast so much more on the power play if he wanted to. But Bergeron's, you know, had good power plays before, not in the playoffs a couple of years, notoriously. But, <laughs> the one that um, they had one power play goal the whole yeah. postseason. They won the cup. But, but like, you know, Bergeron never hit 80 points. So it's like, I, I, this is what I'm talking about. I worry that, like, sometimes the, the fine, like, the, the points of the game that we should really be trying to bring out to the, to the fans that don't understand so that they can enjoy, or, you know, have the chance to enjoy other parts of the game if they want to is this like is this stuff and when we only distill it into like one player it, it becomes i think a little mystified like barkov is great i personally think barkov is on a hall of fame trajectory especially if they reach the promised land like i've been hoping betting and thinking they eventually well at get this to. point if he wins he's i mean Cross your fingers, there's no injury issues. God forbid. But if he keeps up this, he's winning the Selkie, and they're in the closest second, Sam Reinhardt. So he'll have two of them. And once you start adding up those awards, maybe you even consider him in the MVP consideration. Probably not because of the way the MVP is voted on. I mean, he's... I I mean, 
He's one of the most dominant players in the league. He'll definitely year. he'll definitely be around the top five for Hart Coding. I, I mean, if he if he wins the Selkie and everything continues at this pace and he puts up ninety point, you know, eighty eight, ninety points. Yes, I think the other part of the Barkov equation here that comes to the fore is not just that the Panthers have gotten a lot better the last couple of years, and obviously last year they went to the Cup final, and everybody can see how good he is, but he raised his game. Because even though he is a quiet player, he is not demonstrative on or off the ice. You know, the joke from everyone who covers the Panthers is if Barkov says something, it's either important or funny. We all know about that. But he always raises his game when he knows he's going up against somebody when the eyes are on him. Like, last year in the playoffs, he had, you know, he wanted, I mean, Bergeron didn't play all as much as he, you know, they would have wanted, but he wanted to show him up. He wanted to show up Austin Matthews. And you heard before the Stanley Cup final how much he really gets up to play Jack Eichel. And Daryl Belfry mentioned Jack Eichel in that too, and how Eichel's all-encompassing, all-around game, taking a Barkov-type step is kind of why Vegas won the Cup. So you can go there with you. And McKinnon too. Like, this happens with the elite centers in the league, and Barkov's been there this whole time. McKinnon's, I don't think, at... No, he's not Barkov level defensively. Or Eichel. But maybe I mean, nobody like, I is. I think they're just different. I mean, I think McKinnon, you know, is McKinnon and Matthews. I think are the more typical superstar two way players. Yes. Yes. They're still good two way. You know, no one's going to knock them. No one's going to ask more of them defensively or anything. And the you know, no one's saying they don't give effort or anything. But they're not like the commitment to defense is just on a different level with it. That comes first for, for the, yes. And that's what Daryl Belfry essentially is saying. Like he could give you more offense, but he's not going to sacrifice the defensive elements of the game. And I also wanted to make this final point on this before. I mean, I want to talk about the rest of the team, even though Barkov's been amazing is I think now that Bergeron is gone and has retired it is very obvious who the best in class is now. Like, Barkov was always almost co-equal, or in our in our mind, very much co-equal for all of this time. We are Panther sickos. We watch all these games. We've seen Barkov do this for a decade. Now that Bergeron's gone, everyone wants to fill the vacuum of, well, who is that guy now in the league? And it's so obvious it was him this whole time. And Barkov's motivation... If he's not saying it, he's definitely proving it with his play. Like, hey guys, I've been this good the whole time and now you're noticing. He got a courtesy Selkie in 21, like, because he needed to get one. Like, the NHL awards sometimes goes to, you know, it's their turn. The Norris works like this. And Barkov got his Selkie and he deserved it. But now he is using that vacuum and this is his internal motivation, even if he's not saying it, it's pretty obvious by watching his play. Yeah. I mean, he yeah. is taking that step because he is reminding everyone, I've been this good the whole time. I know you just started watching because they went on a run. And his playoff run last year was awesome. We saw, you know, that goal against the Hurricanes reminds everyone of how skillful he is. But that is part of his intrinsic motivation, and you can see it. Because when he's playing in these games that really do matter, like when he's playing against the Maple Leafs, when he's playing against Boston, when he's playing in these games where everybody's eyes are on him, well, he's making sure everybody notices, like, yeah, no, I am this good, I've always been this good, 
and you should appreciate how good I am because you don't get many like me. And he's not selfish in that way. He's not flashy in that way. That's not who he is. But the quiet motivation is still motivation. Elite athletes find that motivation somewhere, and Barkoff definitely yeah. does. It should be stated. Go watch the Daryl Belfry video. It's great. I Maybe we'll have him on or Dimitri on the podcast. I would love to make that happen because, you know, you'd love to talk about Barkoff forever, and why wouldn't we? It's incredible. We do it all the time. But also, I think even in this season, and I think you'll agree with me, there's that subtle step up even further. We always talk about how can players, you know, improve, raise their ceiling, and the last couple of years have been exercises in saying their ceilings could still get higher. Barkoff's ceiling got higher this year, too. Like, he's definitely taken it to another level. I want to now go to another Panthers topic, going back to a Paul Maurice quote when I said put a pin in it. He said, we're recording this Wednesday, he said yesterday that he has eight NHL defensemen, which is a great thing to hear. This is Josh Maharan, Uvis Belinskis included. And he doesn't like to rotate in and out defensemen, but we have to find a way to do that. And I thought that comment was tailor-made for us. Not sure he knows all that much about why hockey, but that comment was almost assuredly made with us two in mind because of how we focus on the Panthers. And this year, defensively, they're top five in almost every defensive category. They've been a really good defensive team. But since this is your subject of note every year, pretty much, now that they are going with 13-8, and eight, as I predicted they would, how do you rotate in everybody and make sure everybody gets the minutes they deserve because if you have eight NHL defensemen, you don't want to limit yourself to just six. Yeah, very tough for Maurice. Uh, I completely understand why you, you know, seven's enough, and rotating one in every once in a while is is enough work. Um, because unfortunately, when you only have six D, you're really only picking. If unless there's injuries, you're really only picking between two defensemen who are going to come out. You know, you're not going to sit a top four defenseman even for load management unless it's the end of the year or something like that. But you know, most of the year you're not really going to take a top four defenseman out even if you're playing a weak team. They just defensemen just do so much, log so many minutes, etc. Um, so, so rotating guys in the same person gets the short stick over and over and over again. And if you don't rotate someone in, the extra just gets the short stick. And it's at least a little more tolerable because that should be expected. Um, and you can just sit behind the, we play the best guys. If you get in when it's your turn and you play well, you know, you'll stay in and coaches do for the most part, live up to that and follow that. Uh, especially if the team wins and plays well, you know, you'll see them not make a, a lineup change. Um, so it, it's, it's really tough. And, and I want to interrupt you briefly so, by saying somebody out there is probably thinking, well, go 11 and 7. But that's really awkward, and it doesn't uh, work all the, that defensemen well. Defensemen hate that, too. And, like, and it's like, not, we know like, Tampa did a lot, and we know they <laughs> kind of made it work, but it's not something you do unless you have to. Well, yeah, you have to have a you have to have a stated plan. So for so it has to be something that either the guy, the guy running the defensive door, the head coach is going to manage a massage all night. Do you want you know, so that that's just like a whole nother thing. So many things go on, you know, from my experience of coaching just youth, 
Like there's so many things that are going on during game that you're trying to do. Ha- players who need special treatment, you know, every extra thing that you have to kind of massage and manage and, you know, keep notes of or keep note in your head of and try, you know, it's just, you're more likely to miss something like miss a good time to call a timeout or when to challenge something or, um, you know, uh, miss watching the game and, and, and kind of making sure, you know, you're seeing who's going or just, you know, taking in the feel of the game and letting, go, you know, guys do so much. Because once you get in the habit of micromanaging, you're kind of micromanaging the bench. And it's sometimes it's just better to let the players play. So it's, you know, there's just 11 and 7. You either have to have a, a plan that you're, you're, the coaching staff is definitely going to be focused on executing all 60 or, um, you know, it's basically going to be one player sitting out waiting to get peppered in and that player is not likely going to be able to make an impact at best. They're going to be a neutral because it's hard to make an impact. If you're not getting momentum, if you're not getting a feel, or you are Joel Quenville having defenseman play as forwards because yeah, which <laughs> you're is so desperate, not, not ideal, but you know, that's, Again, the targeted plan is, hey, we're getting you regular time, and then you know if something happens or if the game changes, then you know then it's set and forget. You're just a four, you know that's a target. Then you're a forward. You're not yeah. a defenseman anymore. But you know, like trying to work seven D is is impossible. Like it's just so annoying for the defenseman. Um, you know how you do it is you can do it a lot of different ways, but you know. It, that just becomes a thing, you know, how you do it, making so sure. So if you that, are you know, Paul Maurice and you know playing. you have eight NHL defensemen, as he has said, he has eight. Now Josh Maher is back. You don't want to scratch any of the big guys, even though it probably would behoove them to give Ekblad Montour or even Ekman Larson a night off because you'd want to manage some of their minutes, even though right. you, know, you would never see that. How do you then balance it because... Kulikov started the year very slowly and has gotten better. You know, we've already talked about how we like yeah. Linskis. So and your... Mahura played every game last year. So 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 what's what's the six? I mean, for I mean, to me it's you know, you have Montour, Ekblad, Forsling, we don't have to think about them anymore. You have Ekman Larson, who's probably your fourth defenseman, but in my estimation, should be, you know, sitting on a back to back. If it's, you know, the back-to-back on the, the second games against, like, you know, San Jose or something, just use an example. Like, somebody that's not in division, somebody that should be a win, you know, you, you give Ekman Larson the night off just because you don't want to put mileage on the ankle. You know, his biggest weakness is getting turned, foot speed, mobility. The reason he said he didn't do well in Vancouver is because he hurt his ankle twice and he didn't. He never really felt right because he was rushed back and all of that. He, it's an 82 game schedule, is, especially if you want his, him to give good minutes in the playoffs. Like you should be able to figure out ways to tone him down. Tell him, listen, we're gonna sit you for a game and everything, but then when you come back, we can play you more. So instead of you getting strictly third pairing minutes, taking nights off will allow us to keep you revved up when you do play. So in the playoffs, you can you're used to playing high minutes, and you can be revved up in the playoffs. Maybe he buys into that. And but I if- think also when you have 
the defenseman like Mikola, who has also gotten better over the season, right? You yeah, but he's af- not sitting. Well, no, he's, he's not-, not sitting, but the point is, when you have defensemen who continue to get better over the season and that he trusts, and Paul Maurice, I think, trusts all eight guys, I wouldn't say equally, but he definitely trusts them all. It wasn't like last year where even getting a scratch was pulling teeth. He's so- right. They're all... NHL defenseman in his system which means he trusts them like the biggest when a coach says that they're an NHL defenseman it means I trust them in my system they can play my system and again what was one of our biggest comments last year they didn't change the defense pairings at all for any reason and they didn't scratch people who should have been scratched and this year there has been a marked change in like again rotating in and out is one thing but that is a big change in the way the Panthers' defense has been run, and you see it in the fact that they are a much better defensive team than they've been. So, 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 getting back to who, how do you do the rotation and everything? Like, who's gonna, who, who's sitting on the outside right now? It's Mahora and it's Belinsky, Belinskis, Belinskis. You know, like they're sitting out, so they're the guys you have to rotate in. Who are the possible ones that can come out? Kulikov. And maybe OEL, do you bring, do you, you know, you could create pairings and you swap two in and two out and you just rotate third pair. You can have one guy, like, I like. do they think Mohora is more of an everyday guy than Belinsky? So Mohora is going to swap in and out with Kulikov and then every once in a while, Uvis gets to jump in. Like I don't know how they're going to do it, but they're very limited in what in the options they have. If if it's only going to be Kulikov coming in and out, um, which and again, I think that's I, I how think it's that if be. you were going to do this, if you were like we're not NHL coaches, but if you were in Paul Maurice's shoes and you were saying we trust all of you at this point, we've got to get them minutes, like, and you talk to. Somebody like Oliver Ekman Larson. I even think you could go to Ekblad and Montour and be like, "Would you mind a night off so we could get another yeah, guy in?" I mean, so you can be healthier for the playoffs. I, I, I mean, if it was up to me, they wouldn't be playing it. I, I, I know that's you. But made, like, you made that because, clear for, for the same reason because the goal is, and you know, this is what Florida thinks internally is they don't want to lose one of the defensemen on their roster yet. They want all of these guys in the NHL in the playoffs they want these eight and they want carlson they want they want all these guys pulled up as black aces in the playoffs from the minors they want canoonan they want all these guys they want to have 10 options because they think they're going four rounds deep and they're going to pick up one or two injuries on the d line and unlike last year where they had to play some guys hobbled maybe you're you know gudas played hobbled Maybe you can Ekblad and Montour played yeah. grievously but, injured. Yeah, but I mean some some of those plays, like you're playing them grievously injured. But like Agudis, his thing like was made was likely made worse by playing through it. If he was able to get a night off, maybe it doesn't it doesn't hinder him as much going. And, and their seventh option they didn't know? trust. Like they claimed Casey Fitzgerald yeah. and he played yeah. and he I mean, wasn't he's very like, good. He's probably at the 11th option now. And, like, um, the point is that now that you have eight, you still have to make all of these people happy yeah. going forward. I mean, forward. You, 
you 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 have such a and that's the thing. That's why I think they have to figure out a way to do more rotation. And Maurice is just gonna have to, you know, find ways to get guys out Use of the your lineup. Communication skills to say to somebody, "Hey, we've got all these guys. This is part of the the goal." You know, because you our- want you want Uvis to sign next year, right? You know, yeah. you want. You want to bring you want to bring back some of these guys. Well, because guys. you also don't you want know like moves. who are they going to bring back and who might they not bring back. Yeah. Like it's but still an open him, question. You want them training hard. You want them to always be ready because you never know when they're going to get their call. But like to me, I like unless you're trading Mahora in a package for something that you think you need. There's no reason to trade anybody. Um, because I don't think anybody has any, like you're trading Kulikov for like a late round pick who can, like, I'd rather just have Kulikov on the bench for I already lost Mike Riley you on know? waivers. So yeah, they like, know these like, defensemen are valuable and that's fine. Like he was the, he was the one freebie you had. Uh, and you know, he was the guy that like, okay, yeah, you would trade for a six just to get something, but all the guys they have now you know, you don't want to lose. I don't think you get that much for Kulikov that would make trading him better than just having him as the seventh defenseman. And this ties into another discussion I want to have, which comes back to the number one concern for this team right now. And again, it was a concern that we brought up earlier. We don't have to be, I don't care that we're right, you know, we're end up right. People come to our, our view at some point. We'll just point it out and let, you know, public opinion shift in our direction. It's okay. It happens. It's it's the fact that they just don't finish chances the way that they oh should. They're still shooting below expected, and it is frustrating. And the Islanders Absolutely game was brutal. a great example of that. And and again, I'm I I just want to start with this. I'm sorry to cut you off, but I just want to start with this. I'm begging somebody in the Florida media, ask a question about this. Find out what they're doing in practice about this, because I mean, every time I was on the ice for like and a lot of you know you see it in in developmental camps you see it in clips that are sent and shared in like coaching communities and stuff other nhl teams practice this stuff they do small area games they do fun creative drills they do skill drills throughout the years that just work on shooting quick shooting through traffic getting confidence to score you know like shooting to score um like all these different little things you know, things that they, they focus on, um, or, you know, phrases and keys that they use and try to build on in these players. Like that's exactly what Florida is missing. Like it looks like they just have no confidence and they're not used to scoring. Why? They should be scoring 300 times in practice every day. So when it gets on the ice, it's routine. It's just muscle memory to hit the net. It's muscle memory to put that right under the bar because they're doing it all the time. It really, I, it really, I don't know what they're doing, but it really seems to me that the majority of the time on ice is spent on working on just you know warm ups, regular flow and stuff. So you know, keeping their you know pucks a little puck skills and stuff, uh, and then just compete, battle the legs, endurance, and that kind of stuff, some of the systems and things. But 
are, they're not focusing on some of the most important things, which is shooting the score, their creativity, all of that. Because you look at guys like Kachuk throwing them straight into the pads. Oh, the Rodriguez chance on yeah. Saturday on the oh, power play. I can't, I can't not talk about Rodriguez anymore. Like he, like I, he's a good player. I'm happy they signed him, and everything. The contract's good. He's just not an everyday first liner. If he's going to keep whiffing on these opportunities, if he's going to keep killing plays, how many times does he have his head down on on the zone entry? And he misses the first and the second pass, and he ends up making the third pass. And it's not a bad pass, but it's like you miss the 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 prime scoring chances that were developing because your head was down. He just he pushes play the right way and everything. He's using Jokinen without the cup experience. You know, like that's great, he, but he just needs to be moved down in the lineup. And the other lines are struggling with what he does well. Barkov and Reinhardt don't need help with driving play. They drive play themselves. So put them down with Lundell and everything. Maybe they can figure something out. And, and But, again, it doesn't seem like finishing and creating goals, bearing down on their chances. All Like, they don't th- – it seems – like, my takeaway is – it seems like they don't think they're in control of scoring goals. They think goals are just luck. That you, if you throw enough volume, you will get enough goals over time to go far in a year. And I don't know if that's good enough. I don't know if they can just hope on, rely on that natural regression in talent. I just don't know if that's good enough because confidence comes into play. Um, you know, muscle memory, habits, a lot of that comes into play where it's going to bite you in the butt at some point. Can I make like, this point that we made a year ago and it's still prescient now, even though the team is light years better than it used to be because this was also a problem last year? It's not just that they don't have natural finishers on this roster, which they don't. And that was my biggest reason why I thought that Steining Patrick came for all the other issues with it could have been okay because that dude just finishes chances. He's a better finisher than most players on the team, and that is something they need. But it's not just that the system makes them work harder for offense, which it does when you have your centers going all the way back and essentially playing as a third defenseman, even though that's the way that the system should play and it works. The The problem is you have to work so hard for these chances that when you get that glorious moment, when that perfect lane opens up, when you're, you're doing your two-man weaves, things like that, right? You are either, it's not necessarily more tired, but as you said, the best chance might have already passed by the time that play is coming. And the challenge then comes in, who is that chance falling to? Like, earlier this year when they needed to end up scoring big goals late in games, it fell to Nick Cousins for, like, and that's not how this should work. What I, want, I understand that, but it's just like hitting open nets. You know, like, the way they're playing right now, yes, it's harder to come by offense, but they're clearly generating enough chances. Oh, I they're agree saying with you. It, they're saying it internally. I'm saying it by the eye test. Data is showing that to be true. So, like, the issue is they're just not finishing their chances. They're not bearing down. They're not taking them seriously. 
They're not in habit of scoring them. I don't like. I think Evan Rodriguez should be able to hit an open net from the crease, from the crease, multiple times. This has been now. You know, and if he's not, it's a confidence issue. It's a he's not in form. Why isn't he in form? Because they're probably they're not focusing on it enough. If they just focused on it more, how hard is it to give Patrick Hornquist, I keep saying this, I, I sound like a broken record, 15 to 20 minutes on non-game days on the ice to get them feeling confident about scoring and all of that. It's not that hard to do. Like, you know, he's already with the team. The ice is already there. They're already doing that kind of stuff. And if they're doing it, they have to keep doing it or do it in a better way or more or something because it's not working. Because at some point, it's just you're an they NHL are going player. To you lose have to games in chance. the playoffs that they can win because the other team just finished their chances better. Now, last year in the playoffs, yeah, it, they you, did finish their chances pretty well. Yeah, and, but and, and and Maurice is and 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 I understand Maurice's thought process is he knows his guys have stepped up in the playoffs and brought the scoring when needed. So he's thinking, I know they can do it. We're playing good hockey. It's and I know about luck and shooting percentage and regression and all this stuff. It's gonna come. I'm gonna pl- I'm gonna keep everybody calm, keep them focused on just playing my system, and it'll go and the goals will come. It's self-serving. I understand why he does that because to him, that's gonna get the best play out of his team. However, it's still ignoring the issue of they need to finish their chances and you're lowering the chances of regression happening by not doing anything. A lot of, a lot of the, a lot of the regression that's baked in the shooting percentage are players and teams doing things to, to spark, to spark goals, to spark players, get them out of their um, slumps and stuff. I mean, there's t- you, you, there's always teams that's like you know you put them with this guy and they they bust slumps you know or you know the coach always does this when the team's in a slump or things like that and you know it might just be you know uh, a, a sugar pill it might just be placebo effect but you know it, I, I think it is part of it you know when you actively try to address a problem you're more likely to solve it and that's I think why things happen because when there's problems, teams try to address it. But they have to be more brutally honest about this finishing and that they need to focus on it. And I don't think they have to be brutally harder on their players and stuff, but I think they have to be brutally honest that it's within their power and control to do better and to start doing the things to make it better. We talked about their issues with defensive uh, cohesion and, and the pairs and stuff. They clearly worked on that to make it better. It's the same thing, same principle holds true, and they have the, the resources and people there to make it happen. Can I make this one final point on finishing before we... Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm done. I, uh, yeah, I, we're, we're a broken record on this, but when we came into the season and we were thinking about, okay, where are they going to go at the trade deadline? Because they clearly expect to be good, and they are good. They're one of the best teams in the East right now. You're thinking about what is that final piece you add at the trade deadline. Last year, they couldn't do anything, but this year, they're going to have room to add. They've managed the salary cap very well. They've got plenty of space to burn. 
we thought, I did, that it might be a defenseman, like it was the Noah Hannafin types, right? If you got that guy, it instantly upgrades your back end. But right now, the way the defense is playing, that almost feels like a luxury. And I don't know if they necessarily need it. So does this then shift your focus as a front office and your pro scouts to our number one target is a guy who can play up and down the lineup that might not entirely be the style of player we normally go for, but this dude is a plus finisher. He just puts chances away. Like, it feels like that is the number one thing they need to add. And it feels like it might, the way this is going, be the only thing they need to add. I think they have, I think nothing's changed. I think where they are, they they have three targets, you know, a 1A, a 1B, and then a number two. 1A being a, a, a top four long-term core piece of this defense. Um, you're not sure you're getting it with anyone that's in the AHL or anyone that you've drafted so far. Um, you're not sure you have it on your roster and or you're going to be able to keep it on your roster. Uh, so, you know, maybe it's a left, maybe it's a righty, I don't know. But I, I definitely think that there's still that need on defense is still there because the way Ekman Larson's playing, you might you probably aren't keeping him. Oh, there's no uh, chance. Kul- he he Kulikov, went through the car wash and got his money. He's getting his money. You know, Kulov, Kulikov's probably gone. Or if he's brought back, you can't expect the same level of play at his age and the way he plays. It's very physical. He has injury history. He's been inconsistent year to year th- over his career, et cetera. So you don't know where you're going to get out of that. I mean, th- there's still a need defensively as far as I'm concerned. Uvis. You don't know if he's coming back, you know, all of that. So I was looking, I mean, yes. And Mohora, to me, has had as many games where I don't know if he's a Florida Panther as he's had games where I've been like, yeah, I'm happy to have him. So he's very much up in the air with me. He's got arbitration rights. It's all about what numbers other defensemen come in, I think, and what he is his bottom line is going to be. Uh, I think with him less so. But in so terms of finishing, like just getting like, a forward who just that would puts be one the B. thing away. Yeah. That would be 1B because I think that was moved less. That, that's less of a realistic possibility given the fact that Reinhardt is doing that now. So they're naturally going to try to put more money towards re-signing him. So, Even if we're talking at the trade deadline as a rental, you know, just a guy who you could flip a pick or a prospect for, just to get a guy who can play with either Benedict. Kachuk I mean, if, it's a, if we're talking right now, I, I'm calling Frankie Vitrano. <laughs> he's not a rental, but doesn't doesn't yeah, that feel like he's, he's got think, one more year after this year? But that, he'd be so easy. You just you, you just trade him to one of the New York area teams. Done. Boom. <laughs> Okay, fair enough. But, like, doesn't it kind of feel like he's, like, a player that just, like, that, not necessarily that guy, but a guy like that, that just, that's all he does. He just shoots, and he is an elite yeah. shooter. You I mean, don't have to think too hard about putting him on the ice in a situation where you need somebody to shoot the dang puck. The The problem is with those guys... It's they take away defensively. About, well, no, 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 no. It's, it's as much about the service they're getting as their ability to this shoot. This is also a very good point. So you have to, like, 
who who are we talking about? Are we talking about someone who they they know or they have a very good idea will fit someone's they have a center or a certain line in particular? Sure, I would. I think it's better to go after a Frankie Vertrano or something like that, where it's a guy that you can just if it doesn't work out, you're he's just on the in the press box until someone gets hurt. You know, you don't you don't have to go for you don't have to invest so much assets into somebody that may not work out because they're a higher premium. Well, I don't uh, even know, know who that could be at this point. Like, but that would be that would be like a div- a a Dadunov type, you know, um, or a I don't know. But that's like, what I'm saying. Like, I don't have an answer to that question right now. Maybe Duclair's probably going to be a rental of that caliber if he doesn't. Yeah, but he's not that kind. He's not that kind of player, though. Like, just plus I mean, plus finishing. Yeah, I mean, but that's hard to do. So I mean, like, oh yeah, no, you're, no, you're, you're going to have to be very targeted about it. So that's why I think it's. I don't know if that's something that they're going to be able to do. But, the, I, but I will say, like, if line, you trust anybody's I don't pro think scouts a, to do it at this point. Yeah, but I don't know if there's a Toffoli out there. I don't know if there's, you know, somebody like that that's going to you're going to be able to bring over. Um, you know, you, you I mean, you look at teams like it, it's probably coming from a San Jose, probably coming from a Columbus or Calgary or somebody like that. Show well, it, it brings us our, our our line A joke again, but no, not not that line A. I guess yeah. not not yeah, I mean, line A, but. I mean, I would bring Line A in a heartbeat. I, I mean, I, I don't have anything bad to say about Patrick Line A right now. I know he's probably frustrated and there's more he can do. But, I mean, they lacked centers that in multiple seasons they've tried to play him as a center with Johnny Goudreau. That's not on Patrick Line You can't put – like, I don't know how you can say he's not living up to his contract. Well, the Columbus Blue Jackets are not living up to the promise they told their – franchises and they made the players when they signed them when they that that's the truth of it and dave you know i don't know if davidson's still in columbus anymore yes he is but you know him and kekaline and they have to wear this i mean this is not good they invested in a lot of players that they're gonna have to eat money on and get rid of and kind of re-churn on their rebuild because i don't they have a lot of defensive prospects in stocks but they have they either have to start moving them for center prospects or NHL centers currently or do something because other than that, they're just going to keep floundering. But Line is going to be gone. Goudreau is probably going to be gone very soon. I can't see them wanting to stay there. And to me, yes, Line might never live up to the promise he was showing in Winnipeg early on. However, if there's any place... He a hundred percent could be a thirty-five to forty goal scorer on a contending. Oh, if he played team. with Barkov every night, good luck to yeah. everybody else. I mean, if if his line mates are Barkov and Reinhardt, he doesn't have to do anything else. I no, mean, he doesn't have to do anything. You already you already saw that could chuck on a line with Cousins and and Bennett didn't have to do anything. He he was able to just hang out in the space he wanted, take his time, play his game, and they just took care of everything else. So if that can happen, you know you can plug and play line A with Reinhardt and Barkov, and it'd be fine. And if there's anyone that can get line A going, 
is going to be Barkov. Again, I don't know how that money works or whatever. The but cap is supposedly going up to 87.75 something next year. It can't I, go over 87.6 legally at CBA. Um, they have they have buffers in how much it can go. Oh yeah, because escrow. But it's going escrow. up at the very least. I, another another reason why escrow and the way they they compute hockey related revenue is just completely bullshit and has ruined the sport more than anything else. And Gary Bettman should leave the league. Um, but You're anyway, not the only person who does not like Gary I, Bettman. Uh, you know, I I. I don't know if they do anything at the trade deadline. I honestly don't. Maybe they get a goalie. I don't even think they need that. Well, I do. I've, uh, Spencer Knight is not even ha- doesn't even have a 900 save percentage in the AHL. It's bad, dude. He's not that good anymore. I'm giving like him not, some time to figure out. I'm giving him some out. time, but he's not going to be this. He's not. He's not doing anything this year. He's AHL for the year, as far as I'm concerned. Unless he's unless all of a sudden he starts putting back, but I mean they've had four goalies, and the only one that's been dramatically, the only one that has really looked worse than him, is Evan Cormier, their ECHL goalie. I it's, have not been paying attention too much to the checkers, but you did post a graphic of uh, records and save percentages, and I saw that and went, oh, that's yeah. that's not exactly. And it should, right. and to be honest with you, it he should be. The contract he signed, if he's in the AHL, you should be able to look at goals against and save percentage and be like, yep, got it. Like, he, it should be that good. He should be at least pulling a 9-10. Like, this is not – he should be the the best or, like, top five goalie in that league to be getting paid four and a half pay, – paid more than some starters in this league. And Stolars, he's had some good games, and then he has a turkey. He's had some good games. He's had some clunkers. He's had some mixed ones. The reason they have him versus Lion, and I know this is hard to accept because Lion's doing really well for the Red Wings right now, is they were never going to give Alex Lyon the starter's role this year. And they needed somebody who was going to be 100% fine not challenging that status quo for 82 games. Well, because also I think they were betting on a point where they might also want to call up Spencer Knight, so the guy might be 2B, and, you know, Stoltlars is used to that. Well, I mean, Alex Lyon went to sign to be third string in Detroit, but he knows with Huso and with James Reimer, and Red Wings told him, you know, like, you can... You can, if you string games together, you will be the starter. You can be the starter. You know, like they're they're trying to win games, and they don't have like they don't have that. You know, the way Borowski played in the playoffs, you're giving him this whole year so he's ready for the playoffs. Like that's the whole, that's the plan now. And Bob this year has outside of maybe one or two games been he's been exceptional. He's been fine. He's been as good as he needs to be to continue to get that treatment. Yep. And that's how it's going to be. And you might not agree with it, but you also haven't seen any goalie in this system outplay play Bob yet this year. Nope. Come close. And it's, you know, just thinking that Spencer Knight getting called up and playing in the NHL is suddenly going to make that happen. 
you know, that's not the case. He's not even getting the starters load in the AHL. It's being, you know, you can say that they're slow playing him and they knew this going into it and they knew that, hey, for the for eight, we're just going to give him the whole AHL year. The first couple of months, we're not even going to look at stats. We're not, we don't care. It's just all going to be about getting him back used to being an NHL or a professional hockey player. Maybe that's the case. I we'll think see. it probably is. But and that's I, why I'm willing to give him a lot of rope. But I mean, yeah, I mean, I understand. But I don't concern. need to give him rope. Like to like the the stage Florida Panthers are in. They're in win now mode. They have enough goalie prospects. They've already traded away a goalie prospect who's just as good as Spencer Knight. Well, he's also having trouble. Let's be fair but to him. Just as good as Spencer Knight. Well, no, just as good as Spencer Knight has the same tra- trajectory to be a starting goalie, fran- a goalie who can be you know a long term solution for. I would love shots. to talk with uh, Kevin Woodley or smarter but, goaltending people on how you develop a goalie in these situations because but, the Levi question is interesting, not for us right now. He, but. yeah, but I mean, you know, they've drafted good goalies. They're going to continue to draft good goalies. They should be confident that. No one's bigger than the team. Yes, help Spencer Knight, you know, deal with his stuff and give him the support he needs and and see where that goes. But at a certain point, if you can move him to improve the team, you do it. He's not untouchable anymore. He's not he's not the same guy in the same prestige as when he was drafted. You just have to think about it differently. Because Florida's in a completely different spot. They thought by the time they got to this spot, he would be that four and a half million dollar goalie, and that he they, this wouldn't be an issue because you would you'd be able to see the handoff between Bob and Knight clear as day, and you wouldn't be worried about it. But right now they have to operate like he's just one of the many options to fill the seat after Bob. They might have to even bring in a guy. You never know because you can't rely on Spencer Knight anymore. And that's my point and why I think, you know, is Matt Guzda good enough to be your th- to be your third for the playoffs if you're not comfortable confident in night? I don't know, maybe you bring in another goalie. That's what I'm saying, because you you can't trust on Spencer Knight being the third goalie in the playoffs. So Let's go on just quickly to some other topics around the league. We want to try to get out of here soonishly. Uh, let's, let's go with Patrick Kane. Yes, because um, he is this. playing uh, the day you are listening to this. He will play for the Red Wings. Uh, as I said earlier, I'm not heartbroken that Florida didn't get him. He got more money than I thought necessarily he would get, but he also got only one year. I know Florida was only going to go one year. Uh it's he less got travel cool- in Detroit. I understand that. If you're going to play for the Panthers, you are traveling a lot by nature because you're in Florida. I understand that. Like, for me, I'm not heartbroken that they didn't get him. I never thought that they were going to. I don't think their interest was a stalking horse. I just never thought that the interest from them was going to be the same in reverse. I always thought that he was more likely to end up somewhere yes. else than Florida. I, I agree with that point. I agree with... You know, I was 50-50. It would have been nice to ha- to get him, to sign him. Um, but again, you know, I'm not heartbroken. I don't think it changes Florida's 
results or you know trajectory with him not coming and i understand Um, why detroit kind of wants to do it because you you, you're having a good start to the season not playing the panthers aside and and you want to reward them and if i'm patrick kane it's i play in three original six franchises i'm the best american to ever play the game you know like that detroit is a bucket list franchise for a lot of people and I understand, and they're good this year. I understand why they he have wants more to be... points right now through the same number of games played than the Panthers, which is crazy to me because I we watched what Florida did to them. Well, it's not crazy. It's not crazy when you realize that Florida's uh, either given they Florida has a habit of making it hard for themselves to score, and then when they when other teams do score, they make it pretty easy for the other team. Like, they make it really hard for two periods, and then the shift, it's like, here, take a goal. Uh, the Islanders game was and, a great and, example yeah, of that. Yeah, and no <laughs> one, no one, every team gets up to play the Panthers this year because they went to the Cup, and, they, and they're known for playing hard and, and you know, having a good forecheck and everything. So every team's ready for it, and this year has been, you know, has played them hard, and, and they have a target on their back. That's a um, good point. That's a but very Patrick, good point. Patrick Kane, I think, like the idea that he could do more to to amplify and impact Detroit. He can be more of a key offensive contributor there. You know, Florida, he probably would have been, you know, he was probably talking to Florida and they're like, yeah, we put you on, you know, maybe the first line and stuff, but if not that, the third line, you know, I think he's going to get a lot more, of the higher minutes in Detroit because it's not as make or break to make the playoffs. Oh, I, I think, think it's it's not the same the, level of stakes. Yeah, yeah. So I think, you know, they can If they, they can miss, make it's going promises. to be really bad, but it's not the same level of cup or bust that Florida but is. I, I, and, but with the one thing with Kane that I wanted to bring up is uh, I'm, I don't think it's the injury recovery is as bad as people are making out to be i know he'd be the first to really play significant time or any time after it but the way that these surgeries are progressing right now he has the money and the desire it seems to really do the post-surgery and everything right to kind of just bubble wrap himself make sure he's healed completely and and and, uh and and come back healthy. Um, and we, I think we can the edit way... this bit out, but you are talking from experience. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. As I say, you know, on a couch that I haven't really moved too much from as I've gotten surgery, it's not the hip resurfacing surgery that he's had, but I've had, you know, surgery where they, you know, repaired the labrum of my hip and they shaved some bone and stuff. And it's going to be a while. Can I make one I'm point about ice, this? But... Because I know you didn't want to necessarily talk about it before it happened, and I'm glad you're talking about it now. I remember the day you had the surgery, and I was checking in on you to make sure you were okay. And I was expecting to check in later in the day, and I saw you tweeting about something, and I'm like, "Oh, he's out of surgery. And he's fine." <laughs> <laughs> we're on yeah. brand already. I mean, it, it, it was. It's definitely not fun, and you definitely feel, you know, that bone and the work that they did to it, and I can't imagine would have felt like for the hip resurfacing surgery, but you know, it's a little self-serving, you know, if he can do it, you know, I can definitely get back to playing 
playing pickup hockey. <laughs> yes, uh, yes, you at can. My level, and um, I, and I stuff like that. Understand but, everyone's concern, but I felt that this one I, was kind of the important spot to mention that. Oh, by the yeah. way, you also had some yeah. level of hip surgery. But I, so we're not just know, talking out of our ass here. Yeah, and 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 you know, researching my surgery and not, you know this Kane storyline kind of going you know, parallel with that and looking into that surgery and what's the difference because, you know, that surgery is the next step for me. You know, when this, when I, when I wear through this playing hockey and doing yard work and all that stuff, you know, I'm going to be doing that next. Uh, but it's there, there, the more that athletes do it, you know, and the more they learn from it, the more likelihood each case is going to like exponentially help the next person succeed. Maybe Kane doesn't have, maybe he only has like half of this year does okay. Regular season and just has like kind of spots next year where he kind of puts up decent numbers and that's it. But that would be a huge, huge step. And then the next player maybe gets three years out of it. And then you can just, well, you know, because, becomes... you look at, because I mean, if you read all the stories about it, it's, Oh, you're talking to Jovanovsky. You're talking to Ed Jovanovsky, and then eventually it's going to be, oh, we're talking to Nick Backstrom, and like what happened there, right? Yeah, like yeah. that's kind of where we are with this and, with this surgery thing. And I think with Kane, it was a little different. Backstrom was out of hockey for a while, then had the surgery, then tried to get back. Kane was playing hockey up until he had the surgery. And is then coming back. I think that, uh, and a lot of players who had this surgery before, you know, there was it wasn't as conjunct, it wasn't as quick, it you know. And I think that's something that Eichel said that he wished the NHL and the Sabers really grasped was the quicker you do it, the better everything goes, uh, you know, and. That's kind of why he was pushing for such a rush because he was like, you know, I, the quicker we do this, the better I have a chance of recovery. And he, and he turned out that a lot of what he was saying was correct. Yeah. So, and, and that's another case in point. You know, Eichel's the first was the first person to do what he did, and it went really well for him. I don't expect that same level of results for Kane, like that he's going to be one of the best players in the league again and win a Stanley Cup. But I do think he can be a meaningful player and earn that cap hit. Like you said, it was higher, but you know it's two point seven, but it's really two. Yeah, it's prorated because it's yeah. And and if you did if you did uh, if and bonuses don't help, they actually make the cap hit go higher. So that's why it's all salary. So you know it's like oh well you know maybe they would have put bonuses to get it lower. Well, actually, it doesn't work like that because it's mid season. Um, Mid season cap hits are weird. So like I he got. A quarter of a million, three hundred thousand more than I thought he'd get. Like I thought he'd be, you know, co- coming away with like one point seven million dollars at the end of the year, you know, in salary. Like I thought the cap hit was going to be like two million or something or two point three, and you know, but and you know, Florida could have handled that. That's something Florida could have done. Oh, they absolutely could. And. If you and, look at their cap friendly page, they have one of the best cap like situations yeah. right now for a team of their I, caliber in the league. I think Florida handled it well. They 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 didn't chase, as in they weren't trying to outbid Detroit. They had their number, they had their contract, and they were selling them selling Kane on the project 
And if he really wanted to be here, if this was his choice, it would have been awesome. But it wasn't his choice, which means it's good he didn't come here. And we just move forward. Uh, and that's a good place for this franchise to be. It wasn't that long ago where, uh, you know, getting like it would have been almost financially imperative to get Patrick Kane on this deal where it's like, okay, offer him three and a half million. We can fit that in on the cap. So give it to him. So maybe we can buy him over Detroit. And we can you know, sell some tickets. Yeah, because we need to sell tickets. We need, or we're, you know, selling jerseys. I know, yeah, I know the y- trade with Yager went really well, but at that point in time, we were going after the Yagers and the kind of Patrick Kane-like gambles of we're hoping that talent and the passing that never really goes away with age is still there because we can't afford the more in prime high talent scores right now, <laughs> or they're not going to want to come here or, you know, back then it was, they're not going to want to come here. Now it's, we might not be able to afford them. Um, so it was, everything was good. You know, I think he did well. I think that Jersey is going to look great, you know, uh, It'll look weird, and, but it will look good. Yeah. And you know, he's going to have a better career in Detroit than Mike Madonna had in Detroit. Well, that's, I mean, that's obvious. <laughs> Yeah, Mike Madonna, who was intentionally benched enough to miss a games played milestone by Mike Babcock. Yeah, Ooh. yeah, I mean, Mike Babcock. It's, it's one thing. It's one thing to to you know have the ego to like bully like you know minor leaguers like Commodore and and young players, but to have like thirty something Mike Madonna, best American player of all time, Cup winner. You know, he's won just as many Stanley Cups as Mike Babcock at that point. <laughs> um, you know. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, a couple other topics I want to get so, to before we before we wrap this up, just quickly. Wild fired their coach. They're getting a new coach bounce with John Hines. Dean Evison, by the way, apparently, I don't know if you saw the tweet that I uh, the Wild's content guy is openly gay. Did not know that until I saw the tweet, and Dean Evison was like, I'll have your back. So I will root for Dean Evison wherever he goes. Very decent human being. I didn't think he was a bad coach. He wasn't getting any saves. You know what happens when coaches get fired. It's usually, as Alain Vigneault said, uh, your goaler is better than my goaler, basically. I, yeah, I mean... It's so funny to think about that opening game of the season where the Panthers got goalied by Philip Gustafson and then the Wild didn't get another well, save the rest of the year. Again, I'll say sometimes it's the goalie, but I don't want to hear about the goalie when you miss three open nets and you lose by one or, you know, whatever. True. But um, I think Minnesota had – it. there was pressure. You had, there was pressure probably internally and externally to just – to make a change, to do something. They – the Suter and Parisi buyouts, the cap situation they're in, no one was throwing them in ang- it was no one was throwing them a life's vest in a trade market. Uh, they already tried some trades. Front trades. office I mean, is not going to but... sacrifice themselves, so it becomes the head coach. And I I don't know if he was if Dean Evison's a good NHL coach, but he seems like a good hockey coach. He seemed to know what. He was talking about. I, I think that there's something there, and maybe in a better team, he gets better results, or maybe he's just a really good assistant. Um, who knows? But yeah, like you said, I'm rooting for him, and I didn't, and I thought he handled it well. 
you know, so I'm sure you'll get another job. There are two I, really I, decent head coaches I, available right now. I mean, if I'm if I'm Ottawa, first of all, Ottawa basically fired their coach because they just announced Jacques Martin is their uh, special advisor. DJ Smith, to coach. I just beat the Rangers. What was it, six two or whatever? And now you're telling me Jacques Martin is here? Yeah. What happened? Yeah. My new special advisor is my future replacement. <laughs> yeah. Oh, or the man. guy who's hiring my replacement, pretty much. Yeah. Oh, so, DJ Smith. Yeah. Like, he's basically the Bobs from Office Space coming in, like, asking DJ Smith, so what did you do here exactly? Can I you make know? a point that I do kind of feel a little bad for DJ Smith in this case, but then I think back to the Panthers Senders game uh, a week ago, and that's the worst <laughs> team I've seen Florida play all year, even worse I... than the Sharks. Like, that was pathetic. I have no bad feelings for Ottawa and Buffalo because their fans write checks in the offseason that their teams can't cash. And uh, because of that, I don't need any sympathy. But, like, how, like, it's now a meme people asking, like, how many years are the Sabres or whatever going to. to, to oh. Yeah. So. I mean, watching the Bills slowly collapse wasn't already bad enough they deserve i try to see the sympathy in the situation because I, that's how i'm wired i grave dance when it is relevant to grave dance well, I and mean, i save I it for think, certain moments yeah well i think you you get a lot more sympathy when you don't trash talk right away like i don't like this like all the social media accounts like you beat a team once like pretty badly the social media team's like sh- Tweeting a picture at their other at the other team's social media team, like here, take this L, loser. Don't like, don't write you checks know? you can't cash. Basically, like, I I, just, I think there's a lot to, there's too much trolling and stuff like that. And uh, you should you if you're gonna troll, it's got to be like you know something that's classic, evergreen, like the Leafs sucking. There was a or, there was an interesting you know tweet Mike from, I Milbury think it was, uh, going Boston into College's stands. hockey team, and it's. Like advertising their game, it's on a Sunday afternoon, and they're like, "Be honest, you're not watching Patriots Giants," and like, that's how you do it. That's yeah. well done. Yeah, but Very I mean, good. like, it's it's got to be, it's got to be. You know, you can't trash talk like a loss. You can't, you, you know, like there's unless you know, it's a big loss. Like if that's you fine. You can't trash talk another team if your team like if isn't really there yet. If like the you Panthers can't be like, wanted to do something on social media talking about how they owned the Red Wings after they beat them again, you'd have the ability to do that because you have the receipts. Yeah, but I mean, I again, still wouldn't want the, them to. The stakes but... aren't high enough to even do that. No, you know? I mean, but like, like I, I get it. But I want to bring back rivalries, but let's you know save the save the hate for. By the way, it's... I do want to mention that Merrick and Wyshynski were talking about great rivalries in the league last week, and I still think Panthers Lightning is up there. But that's a discussion for another day. Um, just wanted to get a couple other minor things out of the way uh, first and foremost. Uh, the draft is going to be at the Sphere in Vegas. It's the last one before they try to copy the NH- uh, the NBA and the NFL, which uh, I know you're not a fan of that. I like I, the and, way the and, NHL and drafts. Here's, here's the thing. The Sphere is probably cool, probably super cool. It's obviously trendy right now. I understand why they want to be It's like there. when you two gave were, everyone on iTunes a free copy of no, their album well, that no one wanted. <laughs> Well, I mean, yes, but also like you know, it's Vegas. They they were the first to go to Vegas. They want oh, to be the first to I have it there. I give immense credit to I Gary totally on one thing, and it's the idea that they got into Vegas first, and they actually have a Vegas 
bred and born sports team. The Raiders are a sideshow that could be played anywhere. They're a traveling circus. Nobody likes the A's. The team in Oakland, the fans hate the owner. And the same owner is moving to bilk the public out of hard-earned tax dollars to build a stadium that seats 30,000 people. And baseball is going along with it when there is no evidence anybody in Las Vegas wants them. You've got two brands that are either bigger than you or smaller than you. And the Golden Knights are Vegas's team. So congratulations to the NHL for getting that right first and foremost. What's, here's the big thing, though. And here's where they really screwed the pooch in my estimation, or in my opinion. Like, next, the next, the big, this is the last draft before it's decentralized. So, what that meant before was you went to hockey arenas, the the ice was melted, and on the ice, they had the boards up, on the ice, they had all the tables with the teams. How are they going to do that in the sphere? How It's not going to be as great to watch the teams all huddled and everything. It's just going to be totally different. You're not going to have that same atmosphere of being at the hockey rink, walking the concourse, bumping into you know, teams and stuff like and that. Potential draft picks. Yeah, potential draft picks and all that. And then going in, sitting there, and seeing all the, all the teams' tables in front of you. Like the whole thing about the sphere is going to be about the screens, the the sound effects. All Max Celebrini is going to have his face on the sphere when he's I'm, drafted first overall by the Blue Jackets like, or I'm something. Sure, like this, like there's going to be a stage area, but before they had a they had the rink and the stage area, so it's like that's all going to be kind of compacted and everything. So how's it going to? It's just like I I they. Sh- they should have done the first decentralized draft at the sphere because the, the, or they should have just, if they're doing this year at the sphere, they should have just decentralized it because the whole point of keeping it centralized kind of goes away. But the only reason they didn't decentralize is because the teams actually want to go to the sphere. Cause it's in Vegas and everybody can yeah. get drunk. Yeah. But like, you know, so like uh, it, it just really bums me out because I like the draft. I wish it was an event that teams wanted to go to and because it's a it's one of the most popular events of the year. It shows really well on television, I think, that first night. But I think for uh, me it's unique. It's not the same as yes. the NBA draft and the NFL draft. Yes. The NBA draft is boring. It's not very good. The NFL draft has become a circus, which is more interesting for the things that it is doing not related to the draft. You have to go find the good stuff you want for the draft. I don't mind that they do it. It's just for the NFL, it feels like a way they can exploit the fact that they're the NFL. The we NHL had... had something unique, and that's cool. You don't need to copy everybody else. We now, had a decentralized draft. It was super long. It was super boring. It took 70 years oh when they did God. it out of Secaucus. Yes. It was terrible. And, I mean, and maybe they'll be, it'll, do, it'll get faster and everything. But again, you had the technical difficulties because you're cutting to a house feed uh, in in Calgary, and then you're going to a house out in Lake Tahoe or you know Lake Winnipesaukee or wherever to That's see Timmy point. get to see Timmy get drafted off the junior, you know, 
monarchs. Or, or, or they're in the team facility, the college, yeah. or the... But, like, or, you know, you're, you're just switching through all these different things. It's just very siloed. It doesn't have that same energy and everything. And there's always moments in the draft, like, when... Carey Price mispronounces the prospect's no, name. I remember getting up and leaving the draft, and I was walking, and I for, someone and the Islanders, I think, drafted Michael Dalcall at, like, fifth overall. Was it, this just, must have been 2014. Yeah, and, like, the audible gasp of just, like, what? You're not going to get that anymore. Yeah, you're just no, not. You, you only get and it if somebody goes really off the board I, now. And I don't think you're going to get anybody. You're, you're going to get some. You're going to get the fan groups that go. You know, like teams will send like a bus of people and stuff. You're going to get paid those. actors, which my conspiracy theory is that some of the fans that show up no. in the front row well, of the NFL draft are actually paid actors. No, they're but the, they're I'm joking. The uh, and I don't mean this in the wrong way. Everybody should be able to enjoy their hobbies and sports as they wish. But there's people who s- use the Florida Panthers as an avenue for a social club, the f- the booster club. Mm-hmm. You know, those types of fans that are really wrapped up in that, they will go to the draft and everything and stuff. There will be a lot of sponsors that go to the draft still um, and suits and stuff like that. But It'll look teams, like a but without diet version going, of the of the NFL draft. Is but what without like. teams going, a lot of I don't know, like a lot of fans went because you got to see the teams. You could maybe get the, the autograph from you know GM Joe Sackick. You could, you know, I don't I don't know how many times I bumped into somebody or was standing in line with somebody wearing a team like an official team thing. They had the badge and it was like, you know, Western Hockey Scout. Or whatever, and I would just talk to them, and they were nice talk back, and it was five minutes, and it was great. You know, I, I don't. It's not, not going to be the same watching anymore. Bill Zito and his and group in the War Memorial as it would opposed to be there. Yes, I did podcasts with so many other people, you know, and they they were podcasters who weren't super into the draft. They were just hockey podcasters, and they said that's what they went to the draft for to like see the teams to you know. See, you know, see the teams Networking. interact and mingle. Networking and they, was yeah. the word that I heard all the time. And, like, that's a very uh, good it's point. So, it's just, I don't Can know. Can I get man. to two like, other things uh, NHL yeah. event related before we wrap this up? The first of which yeah, is the idea. Yeah. yeah, the first idea is um, the, the All-Star game this year will have the draft once again, which, again, the NHL did it first, then ditched it because players got boo-boo-faced about being last because hockey players are the toughest people on earth, except if you uh, show them... Uh, their stats to the world or they get drafted last in a draft of their peers very tough uh but they're gonna have like some celebrity align with them it's gonna be Bieber and Austin Matthews which fair enough whatever but what they're gonna do is they're gonna have the last four players assigned at the same time so that they don't have anybody pick last because again people are going to be offended if they got taken last that's really hilarious and silly but at least we're getting the draft back so it's not the same thing as we've seen all the time It'll be a little bit different, and it's in Toronto. I have to say, the PWHL uh, three-on-three showcase, really good. Not good that it's on ESPN+, Plus. it should be on television. And the idea that we're having this uh, event honoring the 67 Maple Leafs because they're in Toronto. It's very silly that we're doing it, but I get why they're doing it. Uh, at least this draft will be better than last year because the, the skills hey. competition last year was a trash fire. Hey. I get what they were trying to do, but it sucked. Hey, Matt. Yes. Um... 
with the amount of money the Leafs spend every year, how come they're celebrating the 67 team and not like the 87 or the 97 or the 07? Oh, because they don't win very much, yes. Oh, okay. 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 And finally, sure. finally, on the uh, international event stage, we're not actually getting a world... We're getting international events, but we can only have it in which we can stock the entire rosters with NHL players. So we get the U.S. and Canada. I mean, that's cool. We get Sweden and Finland. That's cool. But we don't get any of the other teams because, well, we can't have Russia in right now. And we can't fill the entirety of the Czech roster with players in the NHL. And that's more work for us. So we're getting this diet event that it's not really going to satiate people because we won an actual World Cup. And I won a World Cup with other players. And then when we get to the Olympics which it does look like they're going to go to because they realize they're dumb for skipping the last two even though they were in Asia. Oh, the arena in Milan isn't built because you can't trust the Italians to build anything quickly or efficiently. You get one or the other. And now, like, it's a wedge issue that they're going to use to possibly negotiate something. Just go to the dang games. Everybody wants it. Every single person here wants the NHL and the Olympics. And as Greg Wyshynski pointed out on MBSW today... He pointed out the women who are going to go without qualms are going to play on the exact same rink of the exact same ice. And we're not going to hear a peep about it. But for the NHL, it's a problem. Stop it. Stop thinking is the NHL. It's the thing that drives me the most insane about this league. Stop thinking about reasons why you can't do something. Think about reasons why you can do something. That's the way it should go. You're not going to have a full World Cup for situations out of your control because Vladimir Putin's a maniac. I get that. Fine. But you still got to go to the big the big show in 2026. And, it's time. And, and you know what? I boggles my mind. They've done World versus North America All Star Games. They've had Team Team Europe in the World they Cup of Hockey. They didn't want to do before. Team North America, which was the coolest but, part of that World Cup. And it is still it was awesome. And you still see jerseys going for high prices on eBay from uh, that. Oh yeah, uh, team, team North America is the most notable part of that World Cup. Because yeah. the U.S. team stunk. And do you remember who Canada played for the final of that World Cup of Hockey? No idea. Team Europe? It was Team Europe. But the fact that you had to rethink about that for a second and remember that it was Team Europe means that it failed because you remember Team North America way more. But, I mean, Team Europe didn't fail because they reached, reached the final. They did. Well, no. Like, the idea that you still had to think that it was Team Europe who played but, Canada... As opposed still, to the I most mean, memorable thing being they, Team North America. They, they brought it on the ice, so that, that's all they need to do. Team Europe and, was cool, so and we like, can't that's have all that saying. again. That's all I'm saying. They can they can do better, but I'm happy they're doing something. But I really, mean, it's all I've about always, the Panthers. I've always thought in my mind I would take a, a genuine display of apathy over an insincere display of charity because at least you have a genuine emotion. But, I mean, with international hockey, since we haven't had actual best-on-best best in... 11 years like just having the u.s canada and finland sweden is probably going to be enough for most people because our standards have been so dramatically lowered anyway very good show we are going to have more hopefully coming with guests in the future we're working on it it's it's hard work but it's good work good show today we're recording this just before a game starts so we're glad we're getting out of here so that you could all that we can watch the game and you can listen to this before the next game until then good night and good hockey